0: Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Isn't it good to just sit at the feet of Jesus? Isn't it good to just not rush to the next thing and the next thing? but to just sit at the feet of our Lord. Mm. Thank you Bridge Worship for leading us into the presence of our Savior. Good afternoon if you're here uh, for the first time or regular attendee. Uh, We are excited to continue into uh, the series on the church that we started uh, last week. And I really feel like that what we just experienced was such a great picture of why there is this thing of the church, because I don't know about you, but I, I came in here today with a lot of stuff on my mind, a lot of weight and a lot of burden, a lot of fatigue, and there's something that happens when we collectively gather and people with different skill sets and abilities and and gifts come come together and worship and all of a sudden that that weight that kind of maybe had you bow down like this beforehand just kind of gets lighter and lighter to the point where we can kind of just, we're free. We're free to worship. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And And that is part of the reason why we're wanting to rediscover the purpose and mission of the church. Because in the day to day, we can get lost in ourselves and in our lives and, and just get even discouraged to the point of wondering why we're here. So we talked about the fact that we're gonna examine three different major metaphors that are used in the New Testament to talk about the church, to, to refer to the church, but all of these three metaphors picked, point to one truth. And the first one we looked at was the church is the building of God and, and how uh, Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone and that we're all stones that are building up, that he's building his temple to his glory. And, that we're, and it emphasized in this metaphor that Peter used and, and that Jesus initially inaugurated in Matthew 16 points to the interconnectedness that we have in the foundation but today we're gonna be looking at the other, another metaphor that's widely known and, and talked about and that's the, the church is the body of Christ. And we're gonna ask the question, are we building or bruising the body? Are we building or bruising the body? You see, we, we, we think of and most of us know this aspect of bodybuilding building that, that exists And with bodybuilding, it involves you intentionally strengthening and conditioning your physical body by pushing off of resistance, by working on your heart and your cardiovascular in order to strengthen your body. But there's another process of bruising and injury that also can occur with your body that isn't meant to build it up but is meant to tear it down. And, and, and these things can come from external or internal injuries and sources. But each day, this is what I want us to get today, each day we are doing one or the other. Each day we are either building the body up or bruising it. There is no middle ground. Just in our physical bodies. Our, our bodies are either getting stronger or getting weaker. So last week, we examined the increasing number of people who the Barna Group kind of noticed and reported this month that you know, resonate and agree with the statement, I love Jesus, but not the church. And the focus last week was we looked at kind of some of the external images and, 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 and the external stuff that goes on. But today, we're gonna look at some of the internal dynamics. Even before last week, one of the Barna and David Kinnaman, who's the president of the Barna Group, they released a book a few years ago called "UnChristian." And this book looked at and examined and interviewed millennials, especially those who were not a part of church, and asked them what their perceptions of church were. And this was one of the quotes from the book. It says, "Arrogance." is perhaps the most socially acceptable form of sin in the church today. In this culture of abundance, one of the only ways Satan can keep Christians neutralized is to wrap us up in pride. We don't see it, but outsiders can sense it. Now let me explain what he's saying there. When he says in this culture of abundance. What he's referring to is that especially in the West, especially in the United States of America where you're talking about the wealthiest country that the world has ever seen. We're talking about you know, a place that we have Bibles on top of Bibles and apps on top of apps. We, can, we have access to the word of God like no one has ever had in the history of humanity. And we have the resources to do something about it to the point that if the church got active and awake, the world would be reached like this week and so what he's saying is that in this era of abundance the only thing that can we that that satan can use to stop that trajectory and to and to halt that momentum is to keep us wrapped up in our own selves to keep us proud and it's to the point where sometimes you know ever be in a situation where like you're cooking like I like to cook and I like to cook with like onions and garlic you know what I'm saying and like just all that stuff but one thing that happens is when you start the process and you're and you're cutting the onions and then you put them and you saute them in the pan that there's this beautiful aroma that comes up, right but then that aroma stays with you whenever you're going someplace later on too but the thing is you can't smell it and or detect it anymore but it's still there and this stench of pride and arrogance that 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 we kind of waft, and sometimes what he's saying is that as as a church we we kind of just get nose blind to it, but the world is like, "mm, you smell that?" And so that 's the thing now um, today we 're going to look at First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, one of the key passages that refer to the Bible. And um, once again, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a longer passage that I want us to read together. I forgot to, to mention last week why, but one of the reasons why is because I want us to, one, be able to have this sense of the corporate picture of what it sounds like to, to go into God's word as a community, as, as a body. And I want us to get that picture, and I want us to get that image, and I want us to, you know, just to remember that sound so that we get this full sense of what it means for us to be a Bible a body so in the bible we're going to start from first corinthians chapter 12 so i'd like you now to stand uh it's we're reading from the esv if you want to pull it out on your phone but it'll be on the slides but if you can stand i'll ask that you stand and just we're going to read this together as much as we can and our you know keeping the same cadence and whatnot so uh here we go first corinthians chapter 12. Uh, sorry, and we're just going to keep going. It's going to go beyond this slide, so just keep get ready. All right, one, two, three. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized in one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of many But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Amen, you can have your seats. Yeah. Now, we're gonna just kind of break that down a little bit and kind of see what it is that Paul is saying here and, and why this matters. And um, so when looking at this building or bruising the body, there's several components that we're gonna talk about. The personal attack of the body, the corporate attack on the body, and the cure, the cure for the attacks. So first we wanna look at the personal attack on the body. And this is the first part where he says, for just as the body is one and has many members and of the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now I'm gonna stop there because we gotta kinda zoom out and get a sense of the context that we find ourselves in. First of all, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. This was a church that in the book of Acts, we see him really start throughout his ministry and his missionary journeys. And so this letter is actually like a reply email to a letter that they have previously sent to him with different issues and updates that were going on. So, in this letter, he is now, this is a church that he he knows intimately, personally. He knows the people that are there. They've sent him a report of things that were going on, conflicts that was happening, factions that were happening, not just the bad, but some of the good. And now, he is writing back to them to deal with these things. And so, one of the issues that they were having uh, was uh, issues of division. Now, we have to understand that Corinth was a major economic and cultural city in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, It was known for its, you know, seaports and people coming from all over the world for trade purposes. It It was an economic hub that connected Asia and Africa and Europe because of its location in the Mediterranean. And, but not only that, it was also known as a strong philosophical center, right? You know, it had that, that, that Greek tradition and heritage of philosophy, and, and so, and they also had a lot of uh, spiritual perspective as well. They had many temples there in Corinth that people worship, but this wasn't your typical go to church and, you know, it a suit on and whatnot type of worship. They engaged in temple prostitution. They um, there was a very sexually uh, explicit and raunchy place. And, and this was all going on right there in the midst of the church of Corinth. And does that remind you of some place? A major seaport with a, you know, a major port with an economic center of the world where g- great philosophies and perspectives that actually have ac- echo effects all throughout the world center from. A place with its own values of how one could worship and even that value in a place of sexuality. Sounds a lot like New York City to me. And so I think it's very appropriate that we look at this passage. So in this moment, right, Paul is dealing with this young church and as he's dealing with them, he's trying to help them work through these these problems and divisions that they're having. Now, he just got finished explaining the nature of spiritual gifts and the fact that, and he's going to do this for a couple chapters. We're not going to spend all the time on it. But he has to end up using this picture of the body in response to the conflicts that were happening among them. And he kind of wants to remind them in the first layer, he steps right, right here in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 uh, 12 through 14, where he says, look, just as the body has one member, I mean, it has many members, and the members of the body, though many, Are one body, so it is with Christ, for in one spirit we have all were baptized, right? And look what he says, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So what Paul is saying here is that look, we all had to come the same way. Before we can even get to the issue of gifts, what he's speaking to is the issue that in Christ, there's something revolutionary happening here. You got to understand that Paul used to be Saul of Tarsus. He used to be, as he referred to himself in Philippians, a persecutor of the church. We see that in the book of Acts. He approved as people, as as, uh, people were stoning Stephen to death. And, and one of the main reasons why he and other Pharisees had issues with the church was because they were proclaiming this gospel to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. They were saying that somehow the the, 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 the revelation of a intimacy with God was not reserved to the chosen people of Israel, but that was, was being pushed out to everywhere. And so this idea that somehow we're all in one body, Jews and Gentiles? Whoa. This was revolutionary in the world. At this point in time, your kind of who you worship was determined by who you were from. It was kind of like sports teams. And people could kind of brag and go, yeah, you know what I mean? I'm, you know, I'm from Oakland. I'm from you know, Golden State. That's, that's my team. And so my God is bigger than your God because we're on a winning streak right now. But then somebody else would say, but yo, I'm from New York and the Knicks won this one championship one time with Willie Reed. So we're really the best. Sorry, I'm just playing. I'm sorry. <laughs> but this was, this, was, this was kind of what it was like. And so all of a sudden it was regionally based. It was ethnically based. It was, it was based in these specifics. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Jew and Greek, the entire world, are part of one body when you identify with Jesus. But then he goes on to say slave or Free. This is, again, slashing through and breaking down yet another barrier, huge barrier. He's saying, actually, that your economic status has no bearing on your relationship with God. That's huge, that's huge. Think about it, because, see again, once again, at, there was a time, and, and and for some people this still exists, like in many, you know, like you, if you heard of the caste systems, like the untouchables, in in India there's this picture where people believe that you're poor because of the state that you were born in that God puts you there, and that you're kind of paying penance or karma for things that you did in a past life. So you deserve your lowly state, and, and I, coming from a wealthy position, deserve to be in a wealthy state, and so that's our difference. And so I'm better than you, essentially. I made better choices than you, or my people did, or my parents. And so he's saying, no, slave or free, and the, and the thing about that is this is not an endorsement Of slavery, because when you think, if if you really take that to its logical extent, which Paul does in Philemon, on your own time, take a chance to read it. If I'm really seeing you as a brother, as a part of my body, then I will rejoice when you get your freedom, because you're a part of me. And not only will I rejoice, I will be instrumental in helping you get such a freedom, because we're one. And so this is this has huge implications for race for our economic disparities, for for gender. He's saying we all got baptized in the same water, coming, going down dead, coming back to life and we're all part of one body. But then he moves on and he goes to this issue. He says, okay, so if the foot should say because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, uh, I'm sorry, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? So you see what he's doing, he's saying, look, we can't say, and this is, this, one side of this issue, and this is what I mean by the personal attack, is that we can end up discrediting, dismissing and diluting what it is that God has done in and through our lives and say, I don't matter in the body. And we do that when we compare ourselves to other people. You know, we look up and we go, oh man, look at how he can open up the word or teach or speak in front of people. I wish I could do that. I can't do that. So therefore I'm not really valuable part of the body. Or we see somebody up here playing an instrument and on stage or singing, and we go, Man, I wish I could sing like Mark. I wish I could sing like Liz. I w- Man, I wish I could play like Seabass. I, I, I'm not that important to the body because I can't do those things. But, but Paul is, is striking right at the core of that and saying, Look, does that make sense that an eye would say, uh, that an ear would say, Oh, well, because I can't see anything, I really don't matter? He says, Absolutely not, because where would the sense of hearing be? We, he says, look, we need each and every one of those individual parts. And he says, look where it came from. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So he's saying, look, we absolutely, we're interdependent. So in the same way that the stone in the building picture showed us our interconnectedness, this one is showing us our interdependence. And and he's saying that we, we absolutely can't even make sense of how it is that we're made apart from us being a part of a larger body. And it shows us where we fit in the context of that. So denying our place in the body damages its ability to function. Think about it. If there's a, a part of you, if you're, a, you're an eye, and you're like, well, you know, I don't really matter, so I'm just gonna shut it down because nobody really needs me. Now I got this huge blind spot going on. We need you to see. And then, you know, it's interesting that recently, uh, they used to think that an appendix had no actual usefulness, right? And they said, ah, oh, we can just cut that out, get rid of that, that's just like, kind of like an evolutionary hangover. We just, you know, it's just kind of something that we don't need. And then they really, like, within the last 20 years, they realized, oh, actually, it had functions and, and, and responsibilities that we couldn't even see as scientists. So every single part of the body that God has designed has a function and a purpose both the parts that we can see and the parts that we can't. And this is the key part here. So that means we need you. We need you. We need you to show up with your gift. We need you to show up with your individuality, what, what God has brought to the table. We, we need you. And, and when you disconnect yourself from the body then there's a part there that we are missing. See, each body part is interdependent on the other part, and the glory of Christ is only seen when believers come together. We are inextricably linked, we are are interconnected, and much in the same way that I can't just disconnect myself from my hand and be like, well, I guess I just don't need, you know, my right hand is thinking, oh, well, you know, we didn't really like the left hand anyway. You know, it's it's actually much more necessary. So I need you, but here's the other part. But you need me too. Turn to the person sitting next to you, say, I need you, but you need me too. I like that, yeah. (laughs) It's true, it's true. We need each other. And now for some of us that got very uncomfortable for a couple different reasons. Uh, one aspect is because we're kind of taught and conditioned. Don't, you don't, don't ever need anybody. Be independent. You know, you don't, don't, don't put yourself in a position where you need a man or you need a woman. Just be you. And in a certain contexts, that's true. But in a spiritual context of building up the kingdom of God, the reality is we need each other. There is no independ- like independence, just kinda doing it my, my own way apart from the body. Because if we were all different bones in the body right now, you can't just take one out and think you're gonna be good. All right, the other <laughs> aspect is the corporate attack on the body. Now Paul goes on to say, so first he's dealing with this issue of the body part itself not thinking it's valuable, but then it goes on. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and on those parts of the body that we think has less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Now, this corporate attack looks different. This one isn't the actual body part saying, I'm not needed. This is another part of the body saying, you're not needed. It's, it's, and this is where Paul, again, he's not just having an a, 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 you know, anatomy lesson here. This is not just like biology 101. He's bringing this back to the very issue that was dealing with, that the Corinthians were dealing with. When you read the first few chapters of the book, I mean, he starts right on. And say, I couldn't even address you as spiritual, but carnal, because there's factions among you and you're saying, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of Peter, and, I, and then the real spiritual ones, well, I'm of Jesus, so I ain't, you know, with none of y'all. And, he, and, and, and then getting into this sense of like, whose gifts were better than another and who whose ability was better than the other and and the reality is this attack comes from other parts in the body and there's two things that Paul brings out here is the rationale he says the parts that seem to be weaker are indispensable so what does he mean by that see the thing is the weaker part may not look and, and the Bible has a lot to say about the weaker part I wish I had time to get into all of it but we don't have time today, but the the big picture here is that there are parts in the body that may be weaker than other parts, spiritually less mature, a gift that's less developed, and what he's saying is in our economy not like in the world where it's like hey your stature and your your identity is wrapped up in you being you you in rank in comparison to somebody else we spend days upon days upon days talking about who should win the mvp in the nba or who's the best of, who's your top five rapper all time like all of this like ranking that happens but but what, what paul is saying here in the body it's not that way in fact Those who we think are weaker are indispensable. We need them even more. He says those who are less honorable who we think of deserve bestow the greater honor. See, here's the reality. And and it's funny, it hits you right in the face very early in Corinthians. Uh, Paul says... God uses the weak things of the world to confound the strong and the, and the foolish to confound the wise. And you're like, yo, that's so deep and poetic. And then Paul's like, and that's why he chose you. And you're like, oh, whoa, hold on. What you mean? You, you calling me weak? You calling me like, you know, foolish? And he's like, yes, <laughs> comparatively to the wisdom of God. And here's the thing, that there's this approach that only when we become broken, and become aware of our limitations, are we able to receive the fullness of who God is and he becomes strong to us? See, I can testify to that because when, you know, I was self-righteous and I just thought that I could just be good enough to get to God on my own and I, I just didn't pay any attention to all of this stuff. But then when he showed me my own weakness and my own inability to even meet my standards, let alone his, then I, then I realized, okay, I'm weak. And I see, see, so what God does, you remember gym class and, and how, you know, you had to, like, run full court, play a you know, game of basketball, kickball, whatever it was, and you had that dreaded line. And if you weren't cap, a captain, it was, it was, for some of us, it was a very traumatic experience <laughs> because you had to be picked. And then you would be sized up, you, you know, one captain and the other, and they'd be kind of analyzing, like, and you, you'd see them just kind of going down your body and say, are you good or not? I'll pick him, I'll pick her. And the one thing you did not want to be was pick last. Cause it's like, yo, I, I'm a loser, dag, I can't. Not that I know that from experience, but I'm just saying, <laughs> theoretically. No, I do know that from experience. But this is what God does, he flips it. And he says, where's the weakest? Oh, I want her? Oh yeah, yeah, I want him, I can use him. Because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So he can show himself off with those who are aware of their own need. That's a good thing. So then what, what sense does it make if that's how God operates for us to get into a body, a local body, and then begin to rank people based on their strengths versus their weakness? He says, no, no, no. Remember I told you this? Remember I gave you the picture when I went down on my knees and I washed the disciples' feet and I said, those who want to be great must be the least among you? This is what that looks like. This is what serving looks like. So, the weaker, the the ones less honorable deserve the greater honor. Now, the next part, it kind of reveals why. He says, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, the key part there, he says, we have to honor each other because otherwise there will be division. Denying others place in the body damages its ability to function. And the sad thing is there's a word for that. We've seen what this looks like in the physical realm, in the very space that Paul is talking about in the body. And it's one of the most traumatizing diagnoses that one can receive in their body. Some call it the C word, it's cancer. Now, cancer occurs and it's very different than a a bacteria or a virus because it's not some external thing that comes in and attacks your body. Cancer happens when the body attacks itself. And the way that it actually transpires, I was reading about this, you know, it, it's, it's amazing and, it, and it's like, it's wow, I can see why it's so scary because what happens is you have cells. Let's take a skin cell. And skin cells, and then they begin to grow and divide, grow and divide at a rapid, rapid rate. Now the thing that's different about cancer cells than normal healthy cells in the body is that cancer cells both ignore a signal to tell it to start growing and dividing and it ignores all the signals that tell it to stop. So what happens is if you get a scrape, you know, let's say you fall down and scrape your knee or you, know, you get a cut and you see that like area of skin that becomes pink or raw. And, and so the, the skin signals get a notification like, okay, it's time to go to that area and start growing and dividing to cover up the area that was ripped. But then what happens is called contact inhibition. When it hits the healthy area of skin on the other side of the scrape, it's like, okay, stop, shut it down, we're done. But what happens with cancer cells is that you get that scrape or, you know, whatever happens, the cells just keep reproducing and keep dividing and dividing and dividing and and the growth continues to come out. Now, that's dangerous for several reasons. First, what happens is it actually um, chokes out nutrients that the healthy other parts of of the body that should be there should have because it's growing so fast and it's dividing so fast and, it, and it's, so it's taking resources from it, but also because it's creating a space where there's a mass of cells in some place, what it's doing is it's pushing against the healthy cells and so it's causing damage. But then it also metastasize, it can metastasize. And when it metastasizes, what that means is that it takes these, these cancerous cells go from like the skin through the bloodstream to the liver. And so now you have skin cells growing rapidly in the liver. And once again, taking nutrients from other things, taking, you know, so why, why the biology lesson? Do you not see the correlation with what we can have with division in the body of Christ? See, because in the same way, what happens when there is division is that A cell begins to divide and divide and divide, not with the agenda of the one who made the body, but with its own agenda. And it grows bigger than it ought to in its own mind. That's called pride. It gets puffed up. It gets puffed up and then it starts splintering off and then it spreads to places that were completely fine and healthy and doing their own thing and now all of a sudden this cancer comes up to it and it starts growing the same thing over there, the same resentment, the same disappointment, the same criticisms of a person that had, not, you know, that, and it's just growing and that is the picture of division in the body, it, it ignores the signs to start, it's like, okay, we didn't tell you to start this drama, and then it ignores the signs to stop, and it spreads its own agenda. And this is critical to the body of Christ, and how does this happen? This happens oftentimes in the church community through gossip. Think about it, gossip, what is that? It's, uh, here's, a, here's a quick, dirty definition of gossip. It's confessing someone else's sins. Gossip is I'm gonna tell somebody else something that happened that you did and I'm gonna spread that over here. And then that's gonna change the way that this person looks at this hand or this eye or this ear that God created. And then that's gonna spread over here and then if that doesn't stop at the, at the stomach, then it's gonna to go to the pancreas and continue. And that, brothers and sisters, is deadly to the body. So the question is simply in the body of Christ, are you the cancer or are you the cure? Because the other thing that's fascinating about the body, and this, uh, you know, I called a, a friend of mine who uh, is a doctor and I kinda explained, like, and I just was asking him how this thing works, and I, the more he explained, the more fascinating it became to me. Because I didn't know that your body actually has the capacity to kill cancer cells. Like if it, if it doesn't get out of hand, when it's at the, in the initial stage, it actually, the immune system, the cell, they have cells called lipocytes that actually are searching and roaming around and when it sees something that doesn't belong, it, has, it fits the MO of, of cancerous, which means, in our context in the church, that you know, this is somebody that's spreading things that they shouldn't be spreading, and have their own agenda and growing bigger than what, it goes and it confronts that cell and cleans it out. But what the problem is, is that when the growth happens too rapidly, it overwhelms the immune system, and that's where you need to have some external solutions. But we have to really understand and really fathom the fact that the cure is right there within the body. And in the same way, when there's division among us, the cure is right there in the body. If it doesn't spread too fast, are we part of the cancer or part of the cure? Well, God has given us The cure, he has given us himself and each other. You know, I I talked to my friend, his name is Dr. Olatunji Williams, and uh, he's based out of Indiana. He is a, uh, and this is what he said, because I was like, well, what what do you do about this? He says, to successfully cure a patient, two things have to happen. The patient has to truthfully tell you what their symptoms are, and the doctor has to listen. That's how you get an appropriate and an accurate diagnosis for the situation. But he said the first thing, and he he says what happens, and and he knows it because he's seen many, many patients. And what people tend to do is when you start to ask, okay, well, tell me what happened, what's going on, and and you had a regimen, you'd be like, well, you know, have you, you know, and they might ask, are you a smoker? And he's like, um, I mean, nah, nah, not really. Do you drink? Um, Define drink. Nah, I don't do, and, and so people begin to ignore or don't, not be completely honest about the lifestyle things that could just help the doctor diagnose what exactly, where is the problem coming from? And so their in inability to be honest and just be truthful about what's happening and what their symptoms are and where they came from inhibits his ability to heal. So he has to, the patient has to truthfully tell what their symptoms are and what their lifestyle is. And, and it might include, okay, I see you've, uh, you know, you know, have this issue going, did you do the regimen that I, have you been taking your medication? You've, you've complained about being weaker. Is that, is it, have you, oh, uh, well, you know, doc, uh. Has your diet and exercise routine been, been on, up and on? And so there are these things where we gotta be honest with each other. So the first step to, to, to eliminating the cancer and having a healthy body is being honest with each other. The second part is the doctor has to listen. Before we can go about healing, we have to be real. We have to be real. And we have to listen to when people are sharing. And the thing he said is that it's an aspect, this is, this is not the time for judgment, this is just a time to hear what is going on and to change that, to offer solutions for growth. Now, in Galatians 5, there's another picture of this division that's happening. It's something that is endemic that we see throughout the scriptures, which in one sense, I guess, is kind of comforting because it means we're not alone. And in another sense, it kind of gives us a sense of how deep the challenge is. But this is what it says in Galatians. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Here's the solution. Here's the cure. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look at what Paul brings up here. He says, "Look, this is this, look. You have freedom. You have expression. You have opportunity to to use your gifts and to and to just be a part of this community. But don't use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh." He says, "Look, this is how this is how you can just. You don't have to be legalistic about it. Love your neighbor as, as yourself." And then he goes on, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now, again, in your own time, one one interesting study to do is the one another's in the New Testament. There are. 30, 50 other instances where it's love one another, bear with one another's burdens, serve one another and so fulfill the law of Christ and on and on and there's this picture of our interdependentness and our our, our responsibility to serve and he's saying look, but this time he actually flips it and shows the negative side. He says but if you bite and devour another, one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another, The same body that is meant to build each other up can be the same body that can destroy each other. And here's how we do that. In Galatians 6, it all says, bear with one another, bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the love of Christ. And then it says, if you find your brother in a sin, go and gently restore him. But do so in a spirit of meekness, lest you too be tempted. And so he gives. the, so, so the prescription is to speak the truth in love. The prescription is not to just ignore when you see division happening or ignore when you see this unhealth in someone's life, but to speak the truth, but not to judge them either, to speak the truth in love so that we're not consumed. Now, here's the last part about a, cell, a cancer cell that just was so shocking when you think about it. This is what the doctor told me. He said, it always starts with one cell. One cell that decides, I'm not going to listen. I'm going to grow. I'm going to have my own agenda. One cell that decides, I'm not going to stop growing and dividing and dividing and dividing. And that one cell becomes something that can become so dangerous to a body's own existence. And in the same way spiritually, when you think about it, in the context of a church, it starts with one cell. It starts with one person. And each of us have a responsibility to either be that immune system or be the part of the problem. I saw this up and close and personal at a church that I served at, I was a member of, when I first became a believer. And the uh, pastor was telling me that he was having issues with the deacons and uh, you know, they, have, they were having conflict. He was a younger pastor, he was in his 30s. They were like oh, a lot older and kinda, he was trying to change things up in the church and they were very traditional. And um, one day, I kid you not, this actually happened. One day I go to church and he's preaching his message And at the end of the message, he starts to explain all the things that he tried to do at the church and how they, you know, were resisting him and resisting the man of God. So then he says, so, I am now starting another church that I'm leading. If you want to be a part of what God is doing with me, come see me outside. He walked off the pulpit, went outside in the parking lot, and that was how service ended. And I was like... Oh, snap. And it was just confusing. It was like seeing a divorce happen in front of your face. And how did it get there? It didn't just start there. That was the culmination of a process of people where there was division upon division and division. And that's why it's so important for us to change. And then here's the key part. And he put all things, here's the cure. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. See, here's the beautiful thing about the being the body. Being the body is that this is not just about the limbs and the fingers and the nose and the eyes, but there is another, there's a head, and that head is Jesus Christ. And the head is the one that gives us both the power and the model for how we're supposed to go about taking care of the cancer cells that are in our body. The head is the one that is responsible for showing us how to stop the division and start the healing process. The head, and we can look at Jesus and we see that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. He's looked at his enemies and he said, okay, look, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Application, while there's someone that you have beef with, go reconcile with that person. Application, oh, you heard somebody's talking about you. Go in the name of Christ in the love that you have for this other weaker part of your body and look to reconcile, not to win an argument, but to be restored and be made whole. The application is this is what we do, we follow the the model of our savior. Why church? Because we are the body and Christ is the head. The church is not simply an institution, it is an organized organism, living, growing, but with structure. God has given us this ability to, to grow and in part of that process there are growing pains, amen, there are opportunities where you rub up against somebody else because the cells have different personalities and different strengths and different gifts, this is why this issue of division is coming up in the context of gifts because sometimes we just got a different uh, way of looking at the world than other people, different strengths than other people. But here's the key part. The body doesn't get to tell the head what to do. The head tells the body what to do. And so part of what it means to be the body is understanding that our agenda is not our own. It's God's agenda for us. My brother Dahadi Lewis, he's a pastor at Blueprint Church. He, He wrote this. He said the question is not what do you want to do with your life, the question is what Jesus is doing and how we join him where he is moving in the world. See, part of the problem why some of us are just grappling so much with like what am I supposed to be when I grow up and what's my calling and what, some of the issue is that we're starting from the wrong place. We're starting with, it's like kinda like a cell being like yo, I mean so what do I wanna do today? I'm like a liver cell, like it's like no, the brain tells you what to do. All you need to do is get information. (laughs) <laughs> so here's the last piece we talked about it last time that, that, that this, this picture of what Christ wants to accomplish by, with this body is he wants to continue to grow he wants us to grow in unity. He wants to take just this ad hoc picture of people from all, every tribe, every nation, every age group, every flavor, every swag, and put them all together under one identity and one banner. Doesn't matter where you're from, but just to give a picture of what it means to, to, to serve. And that diversity and that unity is the picture of what it means. And it does so in a sacrificial and loving way. That's the preview. We talked about previews last time. And there's another preview that I got a chance. I want to share with you because this, again, was such an incredible picture of the body. Tamika and I, uh, we moved yesterday and uh, woke up at 7 a.m., went to bed at 2 a.m and uh went down four flights of stairs uh narrow hallways and you know how the process is moving and um the interesting thing is uh i asked some folks to help with the move because you know I can't do it by myself and uh, we had a group that come, came and was a part of that move uh here's a picture of them now and the thing that was so interesting about The experience of moving with these folks is that each person brought a different, very vital and important skill set and contribution to this process. You see, what happened was uh, you had my man Calvin and and Dennis, and they were these strategic guys, right? We were kind of going up the four flights, coming down the four flights, going up the four flights. And they said, wait a minute, how about we just do an assembly line with the sucker? And we start to move it. And all of a sudden, things started to move faster. But then not only that, then we had Brandon. Brandon came through, had just got to bed, two a.m. in the morning, was like, yo, man, I'm not gonna be able to make make it. And I just kind of reached out and I was like, hey, bro, I really could use your help. I know you are tired. And he was like, I'll be there. And he sacrificed, went above and beyond. But, and then from there, we got Valen, my man laying down on the, uh, you know, on the ramp. And I'm telling you, Valen, I believe, was born, <laughs> yes, Valen was born with a tool belt. I'm convinced of this. (laughs) Like, just came out the womb, was like, yo, what y'all need a flat or a a Phillips head? (laughs) Because this guy, like, he just was able to take stuff apart that we needed and figure it out for us and stuff that I just could not be able to do. And then we had Mike. And Mike, this dude enjoy, gets life enjoy. joy. He actually said this, and I, you know, I guess this will be able to test him on it. He actually said, I hope that I have the opportunity at one time to help everyone at Bridge Church move. Once. And I was like, what? So it was incredible to hear. And then Shannon brought this incredible enthusiasm and positivity. Like, yo, let's do it guys, let's just move. And it was like, wow, okay. We can do it. She's doing like push-ups in between. You know what I mean? It was amazing. But all of these things are aspects because we're part of the body. And the thing is, if I if that did not have their help, I would still be there today, going up and down them steps, moving. Because it takes a body to do that. And they sacrifice to do that. Well, there's a Nigerian proverb that uh, Dr. Williams shared with me. This is what I'll close with. He says, he who conceals his disease cannot expect to be cured. The reality is that we can be sitting here and experience the sense of injury among us. But, or be the one that either did the injury or experienced it. But if you conceal it, then you have no hope for cure. The reality is that Christ made us as a body. He made us interdependent. It's not an optional thing. In the same way that it wouldn't make, make sense for a random ear to be sitting on the stage by itself talking about something like, I'm living my life to the fullest. <laughs> it just won't work. Like you, it, it, you, We have to be attached to the body in order to live out and properly be all of who we're supposed to be. So what that means in a local sense, brothers and sisters, is it means confessing sin. It means doing the honest work of saying, yo, this is where I've caused division. This is where I'm at. But it also means staying connected to a local body. I'm not talking about, Paul is writing this to the Corinthian church, a specific local body. If you're not connected with the local body, then that's something, that's a place to start, to use your gifts and to grow. It also, this is what discipleship looks like. This is what making disciples and being disciples is, doing life on life and growing and looking to seek peace. And the last (laughs) part of this, and I I just have to confess that this stuff just unfolds over the day. So honestly, what happened a few moments ago, uh, Natasha asked me, how how did the move go? And I was like, you know, it was cool, but, you know, I could have used some more help. Somebody I was kind of hoping and expecting the help didn't show, and... And I'm kind of like, you know, so I kind of said it on a slide, though. I didn't kind of straight up, like, criticize, but it was clearly evident I was being critical. And then she just reminded me, said, well, you know, they, they had this situation going on, and I'm sure that that's probably why they didn't help you. And it was just in this moment that I was like, wow, I'm about to preach a sermon on being a cancer in the body and dividing, and I just did that. But then in the, picture, in the same moment, I saw what the cure was. Instead of going like, yeah, I, I, I think... They are just like that. I don't like them either. It would have spread. She ended up cutting it off right there, seeing being that lip, lymphocyte and just being like, no, this, let's believe the best about each other. Let's grow. And that's a picture. That's what we can do. Even if you're not the one saying it, you're the one hearing it. Challenge it. Cut it off before it grows. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we thank you that you've put us together in a body. And we thank you that... Um, Our different strengths and weaknesses cause friction sometimes. But Lord, these are the very things that you use to make us different, to make us grow. Lord, help us to be real. Help us to change. Help us to be the cure and not the cancer. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.